You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Greetings, sire. Good morning. Guten Morgen, as our German friends would say. They they would say. If Aaron Kittle is listening right now, he could rattle off some fluent German conversation for us. Oh, really? Yeah, I was really (laughs) shocked to uh, discover that recently. Whoa! I asked him some commonplace (gasps) questions, such as, how are you? And he said, like, fantastisch. I was like, what's that? It's like, it's German. It's like, oh, that's cool. And then he just started, like, speaking German fluently. It was amazing and like disconcerting is not the word, but like when someone can just start rattling off another language and you didn't know this about them. Yeah, it, it does unlock an entirely new facet to knowing them. It does. And mm-hmm. so I was really unsettled again. Not the right word. I was impressed. I was really honing in on this new facet of his character. So yeah. we talked about that for a long time. Wow. That's it. So Aaron Kittle, if you're listening. Your German stuck with me. That's all I have to say about that. All right. Pretty light stuff. That's it. I'm, How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You know, it feels like it somehow mysteriously feels like a frigid spring day. I have made similar comments recently. It is such a dichotomy, and it's the sun. It is. It's the sun is just warm enough that you don't really know that it's 34 degrees. Right. Because it's I actually question question everything. I'm not sure that it can be <laughs> 34 degrees. That doesn't add up. And you get in your car, and if it's been sitting in the sunlight, and it's warm on the inside of the car. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Spring is coming. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Pros and cons, you know? Pros and cons. Pros and cons. Well, speaking of pros and cons. (laughs) This is great. The pros and cons of Christianity? No? Well. No? The uh, pros and cons of having a complete and total understanding of our own depravity. Oh, well, yeah, that, oh, oh, that's, yeah, that's really good. I'm going to be thinking about that for yeah. a long time. That's a thought that's going to fester. It's paralyzing and yet enlightening. It is. Wow. Freeing, you know, because on the note of knowing our own depravity, mm-hmm. we made mention recently in an episode, The Unforgivable Sin. <laughs> the Pandora's box of all Christendom. Yes, that very one. Unironically, have received several messages from people recently about this very topic of the unforgivable sin. Is it because of our podcast? No. Like, <gasps> just people, people reading about listening. it. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, people just like, I mean, like yeah. reading about it and wondering. Well, that's an alarming note. Have I committed, you know, like, have I committed this sin before? Like, if I did X, Y, or Z, am I guilty of this? You read that and suddenly you hear, like, the psycho theme in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you start looking around. <laughs> <laughs> like, who's got the butcher knife, man? It's me. <laughs> Spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah, this is a topic that kept me up at night as a child. Yeah. To be fair, I actually myself, as a matter of fact, came across it again in uh, my own devotional reading, Matthew twelve thirty two. Was reading that recently, which is one of the verses that mentions it, and uh, that verse reads, "And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come." Now that obviously does uh, bring up questions, of course. At least a few. Yeah, like what in the world is Jesus trying to say here? I remember as a kid actually <laughs> reading this verse and then literally thinking things along the line of, what if I said something like the Holy Spirit is stupid? Would that be blasphemy of the Spirit? Holy crap, did I just commit this blasphemy about by, by thinking about saying it? Like, am I damned now? <laughs> like, if I, if I committed the sin that will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come? <laughs> 
You oh, know, man. so I'm a little bit high strung. You can see. I mean, to your credit, there are so many other instances where where sin is achieved before it's like manifested in an act. Sure. Like like we see these connections drawn between hate and murder, and lust and adultery. So like you if you let those kind of fears play out when the stakes are raised this sharply, it, it, it's no wonder. Yeah, it's really freaky territory, no doubt. So all that said, what is this sin against the Holy Spirit mm. that will not be forgiven? What is it? What's going on? What is it? How can what we? talking about yeah have we all committed it are we all actually doomed are we gonna arrive in heaven and discover it was all a ruse like you all (laughs) blasphemed and you're all going away well let's begin as always by noting the context of the verse best way to go it is it is it just can be so illuminating you know right there so this verse actually comes right on the heels of jesus casting a demon out of a blind and mute man so he's dealing with demon possessed guy exercises the demon everybody should be happy right and of course, as a result of this, the man is healed too. It's not just he lost the demon, he can now see, see and, and he can speak. It's really miraculous and amazing. But at the sight of this astonishing miracle, the Pharisees are around and they say, well, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Oh, yes, I forgot. Um, those demons, they love playing 4D chess. <laughs> Against themselves. Yes, they are. They really, really all about that tactic. So Jesus, of course, hears this and then goes on to chastise the Pharisees, basically making the exact same point you made. He asks, how can Satan's kingdom stand if it's divided against itself? Like they don't, they're not playing 4D chess. Like this makes no sense if this is what they're doing. And it is in this context that he says, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That is already shining new light on the topic. Yeah, because it's not a statement that Jesus made out in a vacuum. Like, it happened in this very particular scenario. So there seems to be a link between the Pharisees attributing Christ's work to the devil and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Mm. Like, that seems to be what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, basically. Okay. So we just probably need to dig into that a little more and see what's going on underneath. Because that doesn't immediately explain the apparent difference between speaking against the Son of Man and speaking against the Holy Spirit. Because, I mean, they're both persons of the Godhead, right? And yet Jesus seems to make this distinction between, well, hey, if you speak a word against the Son of Man, you can be forgiven. You speak against the Holy Spirit, not so much. (laughs) So, like, what's going on there, right? Yeah. It's not exactly helpful to have this massive kind of scary pitfall surrounding one of the most, I would say, misunderstood attributes of God, the kind of triune Holy Spirit angle of things. Yeah. Your mind starts to run wild. I mean, like, am I liable to get something wrong and discussing one of the more ambiguous areas? And then, if that's the case, if there are some irreconcilable consequences as a result, just in my own ignorance, (laughs) you know? things that I understand even less. And then, I mean, it's paralyzing. Yeah, it really is. And at that point, you start going down those roads and you're like, well, there will be no more theological inquiry ever. We will just, we will retreat to the monasteries. We will put on burlap and we will be silent for the remainder of our lives. So here are the two big observations I think we ought to walk away with from a passage like this. So first, I would make note of the fact that Jesus is speaking to his adversaries here, right? He is not speaking to people who have followed him or pledged their devotion to him. Mm. So if you're the kind of person who is worried about offending the Holy Spirit, you know, the kind of person you've professed faith in Jesus, and it's even a concern in your mind that, oh, I don't want to commit this sin. That in itself is a sign that you're pretty firm on the ground there, Uh, (laughs) you know? I mean, to be sure, of course, it's good for us to examine ourselves once in a while, as Peter says, and make sure our calling and election is sure, that kind of thing. But if this is something that is even in our minds, that's a good sign, because it's not in the minds of his adversaries. It wasn't in the minds of the Pharisees, right? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? They're not thinking about this. They're just thinking, man, we... 
this is not going to go well for us. How do we flip this? Yes, how do we flip this so that it makes us look good? So that's one thing. Here's the second thing. In his messianic role as the quote-unquote son of man, Jesus was not, for lack of a better term, obvious, right? (laughs) Um, So like, what I mean by that is echoing a passage like Isaiah 53, he had no form or majesty that we should admire him Hmm. or desire him, right? Uh, He didn't come in a thick cloud or blinding glory like God did on Mount Sinai or the way he appeared to Moses in the burning bush or any of those other instances where like the prophets saw a vision of God and they were completely overwhelmed by his glory, yeah. right? Like there, it wasn't like that. Jesus came as a son of man and for lack of a better term, I mean, that glory was veiled. Yeah. So like you would feel like you were just looking across the table at another guy, you know, just another, <laughs> another Jewish carpenter, exactly. right? I mean, just, you know, I mean, a dime a dozen, so to speak. So you don't have people looking at him and saying, you know, whoa, I'm undone. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. You had a lot of people who were perplexed about Jesus, right? I mean, right. you think about that time when Jesus asked his own disciples, who do people say that I am? Mm. And there's like no consensus on who he is. So like, well, maybe he's Elijah. <laughs> he might be John the Baptist back from the dead. One of the prophets. Also, why are you asking me this? Yeah. Like, like <laughs> why are you bringing this up? Are you about to tell us something? Yeah. I, uh... What's the point here? So you have that going on. However... When Jesus did this obviously good and amazing miraculous work in healing this blind and mute man, that's an opportunity for the Pharisees to like worship God at least, you know, even if okay, they're confused about who Jesus is. Yeah. Like many of the crowds were. I mean, the crowds didn't necessarily pledge all their devotion to him, but they were like, wow, a prophet has been among us, you know, glory mm-hmm. to God. The Pharisees, on the other hand, see this miracle. And rather than doing anything like that, like Beelzebul, <laughs> yeah, of course. he, uh, you know, Satan is trying to cast out Satan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how this guy's doing it. He's in league. He is in league with the devil. He did this miracle through the prince of darkness. <laughs> yeah, that really tracks well. Thank right? you. Right? Yeah, so they will not even entertain the possibility that it might be God's spirit at work. And of course, in Christ's eyes, obviously, but I think I mean, just in this case, there's no excuse for like that. Like at least pause and reconsider what's going on in front of you. Right. Because yeah, again, you may be a little confused about, well, Jesus, you know, he looks so ordinary, but I thought the Messiah was going to be this royal figure and all these things. But when it's so obvious that there's some work of God's spirit happening here. Yeah. You may not understand the, the means by which it came to fruition, but the result is nonetheless clear. Right. Exactly. And so it seems that that kind of stubborn, like stiff-necked rejection of the Spirit's work, and not just a rejection of it, not just saying like, well, I'm not going to have any part of that, but instead trying to cover yourself by attributing it to the devil. I mean, that yeah, that's adversarial. That's combative. It is. Basically. That, in short term, seems to be the kind of blasphemy of the Spirit that reveals a heart that is hardened beyond the point of return. A bit like Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, actually, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, well, I wonder if it wasn't easier for them to point and say, that's not exactly what it looks like because the alternative requires like self-examination sure it it, it means they're not as special that it's threatening to their comfort or especially their self-righteousness yes we we can't be questioning that now (laughs) so (laughs) no instead they they drive themselves to this other extreme because it's the only way they can preserve that sense of self yes exactly and to piggyback off of what you just said i think you're exactly right in that jesus is teaching this deeper truth of the law, right? Like, I mean, saying things like, I mean, like you pointed out, like, you know, lust is not just a matter of, did you sleep with someone who's not your spouse? Mm -hmm. It's, are you thinking about, oh, I'd like to sleep with this person who's not my spouse? And that obviously is unsettling for the Pharisees because they're like, well, if that's true, and if you're right, 
and that's what the law actually meant all along. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, no, we're in trouble. Like, we are not righteous at all. We stand just as condemned as the tax collectors and the sinners. Their entire sense of importance is built around their obsession of logging the laws and exactly how to obey them. Exactly. And so at that point, well, okay, we cannot grant that Jesus could be right because that would mean we're wrong. (laughs) Therefore, the only alternative is he's doing this by the devil. Exactly. So that is going to create obvious issues. Now, all that said, on the practical side, if someone is listening to this and wondering, am I beyond the point of forgiveness, right? Have I committed this sin or have I done anything that is beyond the point of God's ability to forgive? Again, I would say that is a sign and an evidence of a softened heart itself, like asking that question. Look at a guy like Paul, for instance. (laughs) He hunted down Christians. I mean, he went out of his way to do that. He approved of their murder. He described himself as a blasphemer, actually. I forget exactly where in the later epistles that is. In fact, it's actually interesting. This is just for fun. But if you track Paul's epistles chronologically, like when he wrote, probably wrote Galatians or 1 Thessalonians, one of his, those were, one of those two was his first epistle. And you go all the way to end like... Second Timothy was probably his last one. You see this progression of where he recognizes, he'll say things like, ah, I was like an apostle untimely born, to, ah, like, I don't understand why God showed his grace to me, to, by the end of his life, he's like, I was a blasphemer and the chief of sinners, and yet God had mercy on me. Like, this steady, coming back to what you said at the beginning, this, like, cognizance of just how deep his sinfulness yeah. went, and yet how much God's grace abounded to forgive that sin and to transform his life and to make him the apostle he was. Yeah. So anyway, I think that is an example of how Christ can save those who, I mean, you know, the book of Hebrews says that Christ is able to save to the uttermost Mm -hmm. those who come to him, which means that even if our sin goes to the uttermost, well, Christ saves to the uttermost. So again, if you're asking the question, I think that is an indication of a softened heart and that you can be forgiven if you confess your sins. I think the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is like no one's asking that question. If they've actually committed that sin and they're not going to be forgiven in this age of the age to come, they're not asking those questions anymore even. Their heart is just so hardened beyond the point of even wondering about that, that they're, for lack of a better term, like they're just, they're confirmed in that sin and they're not going to even wonder about that. Forgiveness probably isn't even a concept in their mind. They're just like, forgiveness? Like, I don't, I mean, I mean, like the Pharisees, like. Of what? For what? Yeah, like for what? What? have I done? Like, I'm I'm good. I'm righteous. I don't need that. Or whatever may have you. So, yeah. All that to say, the other piece of this is we cannot see the heart like God can. Um, (laughs) True. I cannot know who's spoken against the Holy Spirit and won't be forgiven any more than I can know with 100% certainty who is justified in God's sight. Yeah, good point. I was uh, talking to a group of guys yesterday on a topic similar to this, and I said the same thing. Like, they're all godly men, as far as I know. You know, like, they all profess faith in Jesus. I have no reason to doubt their salvation. However, I cannot know because I can't actually see their hearts like God can. But we can see those evidences, right? Which is what I'm pointing out there is that we can see, you know, does your life accord with godliness? Is there fruit? Have you professed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? You know, are you a part of the church that he ransomed with his blood? We can receive a person's word as the fruit of their heart until they give us reason to believe otherwise, Hmm. in other words. But that's as far as our knowledge goes as human beings. So, Once again, just to hammer this home, if you're worried that you've perhaps committed this sin and you wonder whether you can be forgiven, at that point that your heart is feeling that way, you can be forgiven. So as John Bunyan might say, you know, just come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Like he'll he'll receive any who come to him in faith. And that is the Pandora's box of Christendom right there. We just opened it, closed it again. That's right. I mean, we we are the solver of mysteries. Yep, we're answering every question yeah. every time. Single-handedly or double-handedly, 
Brooke is not single-handedly. We both we're both here. Each, four hands. Each double hand. If I had two hands, like jars of clay back in the day. You remember um, that song? I do not. Well, that I, <laughs> someone does. Probably, maybe for the best. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for listening to Ethan and I Unravel Mysteries here. If you have uh, any questions on this or any other topic, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net, or you can interact with us on social media. And uh, if you felt helped by this content and you want to share the love, you can leave us an honest five-star review and share it with your friends. Yeah. You know? Perfect. Help them figure out... The mysteries of, of the fabric of our beliefs. Yeah, figure out. I wasn't the sure how I was going to end Spirit. that sentence at all. I was, just, I was kind of feeling the Michael my way. Scott moment. Sometimes I start a sentence and I don't really know where it's going, and I just <laughs> yes. hope I find my way by the end of it. Thank you as always for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.